of business owners across the land. Audio podcast episodes can be found at the podcast link at drawincustomers.com. Of course, you can download those for free and free is a good price, right? We're locally underwritten by the Bank of Sun Prairie. My name is James Kademan, entrepreneur, author, speaker, and helpful coach to small business owners across the country. And today we're welcoming slash preparing to learn from Carrie Childers, the founder and owner of, I love this name, Thought Leader Connection. So how cool is that? Carrie, how are you doing today? Great. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm excited. Uh, if for no other reason than Thought Leader Connection is just about the coolest name of a business I've ever heard. Also so, TLC, Tender Love yeah. and Care. So oh, was that intentional or did that just happen? After we did that, it, somebody pointed it out to me and I was like, wow, because that totally is how I intend to do business with Tender oh, Love and Care. Cool. So super it kind of cool. worked. Yeah. All right. So what is the Thought Leader Connection? Sure. I work with authors and speakers. I help them with their book launch campaigns and to formulate what they exactly talk about so that we can communicate clearly to meeting planners what they're going to come in and talk about. I do a lot of niche conversations. So if there's a meeting planner that's not looking for a broad topic that everybody speaks to, but something more niche for their audience, I'm a person that can usually find that content for them. All right. So I take care of the speakers and I take care of the meeting planners on both oh, sides. Interesting. All right. Yeah. So tell me about the speakers. Cause that's, I guess that's a journey that I started to go down, but then I had a kid. So that just changes your <laughs> speaking schedule. Yes. It's a hard job if you've got little ones at home, cause you're on the road. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be successful. Yeah. yeah. I tried, uh, I started to go down that road. I always thought it'd be cool to be a stand-up comic as well, but I'm probably not that funny. So I work with a stand-up comedian also. So that's you really, I do. I sure do. Paul Ollinger oh. is his name. Trying to get him gigs or how do you work with him? I only help him on the booking back end side. So I don't do any prospect for him, but just help him with, he also does an incredibly niche keynote for it's his podcast is called crazy money podcast. I don't know if you've heard of it, but not. he has some niche content for people who, when they get to, I don't want to say the end of their careers, but potentially at a point where they want to buy, sell out and leave what they're doing and capitalize on their part ownership or what have you, then how do you live a fulfilling life with all of the money that you've just all of a sudden gotten? Mm. And how do you live a fulfilling life when you're no longer going to work? Because we all want to live with purpose. We all enjoy working and providing a give back to the community. So he talks to people about finding true happiness, which we all know can't be found in money. And how do you do that on the other side of a career, you know, once you've cashed out? So again, niche content. Yeah. Niche this content. is from a comedian. And he also does comedy. Yes. All right. So he incorporates that into his keynotes and makes it just a lot of fun to hear. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So how did you get in this business? Was this something that you just were in the industry for a while and said, screw this, I can do a better job? Or so just <laughs> tell me your story how you got fun. started here. Um, so my husband made me do it. I'll, I'll, and I'll <laughs> love to tell that story, but I started back in 1999 with John Maxwell. I'm not sure if you're familiar, oh, but yeah. he's oh, yeah. Yeah, a big speaker now. So worked with him with speaking and book launch campaigns. And then like you, I had some children and stepped out of the career for a while. Uh, I came back when my youngest was three and was working underneath a great friend of mine. We did a lot of New York times bestseller campaigns and had a lot of fun doing that. 
And then I had a little detour actually and went to work at my kid's school for seven years, which was fantastic because as oh, a wow. mom, yeah, getting the break for Christmas and yeah, Thanksgiving. That's a summer. hard left out of what you were doing, right? Yes. Yes. But you know, I wanted to be with the kids and the book launch campaigns are a blast, but it was a good 50, 60 hour work week for sure. All right. So the school schedule was a lot better for a mom. And then we five years ago moved to Midlothian, Virginia. And I was trying to think, what am I going to do here? I didn't want to start all the way over in a career I was 43 at the time. And my husband said, go do the book launch campaigns and work with the speakers. Just do it on your own. And I was scared to death to start a business on my own, uh, definitely shaking in my boots. My kids got to see me crying one night, rejoicing the next night, the whole journey of the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. But it has been a blast. And I feel so thankful to work with these just incredibly top shelf clients. I'm around leadership constantly. So all of the folks I work with are always working to improve themselves, help other people, serve the community. So it's been a real joy, but definitely ups and downs getting the business up and off the ground. So lots nice. of you know, it's interesting. You worked for John Maxwell uh, because his name came up a few times with some different guests. But I remember I wrote my book, uh, the Bold Business book in I think it was published in 2017. Okay. I remember going to a bookstore, looking in the business section, just to see what my competition was. And I'm pretty sure John Maxwell had half that area. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Hundreds of books. It seemed like, I don't oh, know. Maybe yeah. thousands. I don't know. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. A lot. So he was doing that before I got there in 1999. So wow. You know, there's years and years of author. Um, nice. He's written. Yeah. So you hung yeah. your shingle out and you're like, Hey, I'm going to help these authors. How do you get found by the authors? Cause it's probably. Well, thankfully. I'm yeah. It's, um, it's very interesting because I do no marketing, so again, I know it's crazy back to the TLC. I, my heart is that anytime I sit in front of somebody, I'm going to do everything in my power to serve them to the best of my abilities. I don't think about the money to be made. I think about what does the audience need and who can I best connect them to? What does the author need and how do I best serve them? And quite frankly, I feel like that business model has just produced a long waiting list. I've never not had a waiting list of people to work with. Wow. And I do zero marketing. So it's all relationship-based, trust-based, and word of mouth, which has been an incredible blessing for sure. Yeah, that's really incredible. No marketing at all. So from day one, you had a line essentially? Yes. So as soon as I put my hat back in the ring, I let a few people know, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And I think within two weeks picked up my first uh, client and then was off to the races. Honestly, I, I don't, I don't even really know how to tell you. I wish I could say, here's the formula, A plus B equals C, you know, and <laughs> Ooh, do this. Is, and, right? Yeah. But I, the only secret to the sauce that I can say is just working with authenticity, like you talk about. Um, truly focusing on serving people, slowing down and being relational. I work with an author right now, Chris Tuff, and his big push is that we've got to get back to authentically connecting with one another and mm. doing, bringing our own passions to work and connecting with the passions of other people. And just a rich, authentic connection is always going to win over an email, a mass email that we send or these crazy things we get on LinkedIn asking for, you know, hey, can I have some of your time to sell my service? Oh. Okay, you know, I think we're just all inundated with that constantly. Mm -hmm. And the only secret to my sauce that I think 
has made for the win is just authentic relationships, truly caring about people, taking time to listen and hear what their needs are and doing the best that I can. If I can't meet their needs, I refer or connect them with that who can. And so I feel like that builds a foundation of trust. And then when the word gets out that you're trustworthy and you really care, that your name spreads. Boom. So right. that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it's working, then that's all good. Right. Do you, yeah. the authors that you work with, is it specifically or exclusively in the business leadership field or is it branch off into, I don't know, romance novels or space? Yes. Novels exclusively or business and leadership right now. Got so it. who knows right. what the future would hold, but I can't imagine doing romance novels. <laughs> I could potentially branch off into, I would think, some Christian um, works. Okay. So I've thought about that. But right now, I love, I, I have a heart for business people. I have a heart for, I feel like they have such a huge impact in our culture. So it's more than just about them and what they're doing at their desk, though that's a big part. But I think if we can bring great thought leaders and speakers in to help with the culture of these large organizations, more people are going to be happy and serve our communities well. And that's really what gets me excited about putting the right speaker on the right stage is mm -hmm. the impact that they can have in such a small amount of time with such a large amount of people for the betterment of those people. So. Yeah. I got to say when I was doing speaking, that was the, that was some of the best feelings that I guess I've had when you have a crowd that you're talking to, or even, uh, you know, it's funny. I just had a guest, I don't know, a few podcasts ago, that actually read my book. Yay. People every once in a while do that. And yeah. she had said that she, there was a certain section in the book that she read that that triggered her to actually start her own business. Wow. Which is just she little stuff it. like that, that you're like, yeah, it makes it all worth it. It does. Doesn't it? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. I think if we can all focus on how do we serve the person in front of us mm -hmm. to the best of our abilities, I think businesses would boom. Um, people would be in general happier at work. You know, it's just that one little thing, but it's so tempting to get off and focused on the bottom line, the ROI and all those things are important. But I feel like if you put the right thing first, which is serving the person in front of you, the rest just will come. So yeah, it's tough. It's almost like the the conscious versus the unconscious. You want to concentrate on the money or the whatever thing that's in front of you because you feel like that's the actual problem. But a lot of times it's the stuff that you don't necessarily see that is more the root of the problem or <clears throat> going deeper, I guess, than, than just figuring out the little face thing that you see initially. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to explain it, I guess, but well, we exhaust ourselves running after the wrong goal a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can readjust our eyesight on the right goal, then the rest will come naturally. But that takes a walk of trust, right? Because you're shifting gears. We hold on to what I feel like is a false illusion of control when we're trying to <laughs> close this deal, win this. We've got to have this bottom line. And it's it, we think that we have control and we don't. But if we can kind of release that in trust and just go, I'm going to seek to serve 
my heart or my experience has been the business will come. It's just mm -hmm. kind of a natural byproduct of doing one of my mottos or nuggets that you talked about is just doing the next right thing. Always just do the next right thing. Oh, I like and that. And so when you do the next right thing, you will experience the backflow of the blessing of business. It's just, I feel like a law of, for me, you know, I told you I'm a um, Christian, so mm -hmm. I follow the Lord first and I trust that he will bring the rest and the blessings according to his will. So it's just a trajectory changer from going, not running after the bottom line, though it's important, going to run after serving and loving people well and trust that the bottom line will be met. So a little shift in perspective. Sure. It reminds me of the movie Days of Thunder, where Nicole Kidman goes on her little tangent or little speech, says controls and illusion. I'm going to tell you yes. something that everybody yeah. else automatically knows. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's a fun little speech. And I always think of that. I also think of tires win the race. So it's interesting how <laughs> movies like that just help you in business, right? Yes, that's right. Um, All good. So you you have some books behind you. Are those from authors that you helped? Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, riches, whatever. The Millennial Whisperer and Savior Asks is Chris Tuff, who I was just telling you about, is the okay. authentic connection guy. Um, this book is fantastic. The Cuckoo Syndrome. She became a dear friend of mine, Andrea Anderson. This is a great book for people who working with other people, setting healthy boundaries, having healthy relationships. So she's a fantastic author as well. Mm. Um, some of these are that are down below are from long time ago or previous or some just purchased. The Anxiety at Work is another great one. Chester Elton and Adrian Gostick. Um, I've Worked with them in the past for years, and now I would say are more a partner. Their agent is one of my very best friends. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, so we work together on some things, but that's another fantastic uh, book. We all know the anxiety at work right now is almost like a pandemic, right? I mean, there's just so <laughs> much of it. Like, how do we get in there and help these people to release that anxiety and get back to enjoying again, personal relationships and enjoying what we do, enjoying the purpose that we're called to. So that's a great book. That's the title of the book is called Anxiety, Anxiety at, work? at Work. Yes. Interesting. So is that geared towards employees or employers? Or Absolutely. Both? Well, both because the employers want to provide a culture where their people are free from anxiety, right? Because we're not going to hit peak performance when we're stuck and struggling with anxiety. So both. Interesting. All right. And you, you mentioned that you worked with an agent of these authors. So do you work hand in hand with agents fairly often? So I am a booking agent for the speakers. And then I work with authors on book launch campaigns. I'm not a book agent, mm -hmm. but I walk them through kind of the process, which I'm sure you're familiar with. As soon as they hand the book to the publisher, from that point to how do you let the world know the book is here? And there's a thousand things that fall under that umbrella, as you well know. All <laughs> right. So I walk alongside authors to help them with that process. It can be very overwhelming. And what I've found is they have a huge sense of relief when I come in and I'm like, you know what? It's just like planning a wedding. So let me map this out for you and we'll go mm -hmm. month by month. And here are the five things you need to do and, you know, kind of make, break it down into little lists of to do's. And we, I want to say breeze right through a book can't launch campaign, but as you know, there's a <laughs> lot of work. <laughs> it's breeze, a lot of work. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know enough to be dangerous as far as the publishing world. And I wouldn't consider everything that I did with my books to be necessarily the right or the best way. But Plus, you learned a lot. You probably learned a lot. I did. And 
uh the world i guess the publishing world some of that's a moving target yes absolutely so i published a book uh like the awesome book was just it just says you are awesome on all the pages um i published that book as uh i don't want to say experiment but as um a refresher for myself because i was going to help someone or i did help someone else publish their actual real book and it was interesting because that was I don't know, three years after I released my first book and wow. going through the whole publishing thing, I'm like, this is not 100% different, but I bet 50, 60% different. Just the world, wow. the publishing world had changed enough with, so I'm so glad that I did that because when she came to my office, I actually knew what I was talking about versus yes. saying do it this way that I did a few years ago that, oh, that doesn't work. Which you kind of, and that's another nugget, right? You kind of have to jump in with both feet and just do some of the things that you want to do, whether it's mm -hmm. write a book or speak or launch a business. You sort of have to just jump in with both feet and give yourself the freedom to make a lot of mistakes. At least that's what I've experienced is my mistakes are actually what I learned the most from. So if we sit in a success, a seed of you know hitting the nail with the on the head with the hammer every single time we're probably not going to learn as much or end up being as qualified as if we just allow ourselves the freedom to make a mistake or two and learn from it right teach other people from the mistakes that we've learned and press on <laughs> excuse me you. yeah yeah you have to you have to i can't i mean you probably hear this way more than i have already but i've heard a lot of people say oh i always meant to write a book or oh I wrote a book and I'm like, oh, what's the name of it? And like, oh, it hasn't been published. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Really got the idea and that's as far as it went. Yeah. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It can be. Yeah, it can be. Tell me with the people that you're working with, I would imagine that a lot of them are using the book, the product as somewhat of a business card or a calling card or a prove the knowledge that they're as awesome as they say they are kind of thing. Is that? So it's not necessarily, hey, I want to be an author and make all my money off of selling books. Because I'm going to use this as some money off selling books. Oh, my God, there's not. <laughs> <laughs> there's not. It's so funny that you say that. Um, just crazy side tangent. I was giving a presentation at um, When Words Collide in Canada. And it was during the pandemic because before it was in person. Then they brought it all Zoom, just like all the other stuff. And there's 50 million people in these rooms, but you're looking at black screens. And it was all, it was like, you're looking into Bambi's eyes because they, they had all this hope. Yes. And I'm like, hey, yes. sorry to shatter your dreams, but let's just do some quick math and let you know how many books you have to sell for this to produce money. Just figure out whatever you need each month to survive, to replace your job or whatever. And let's figure out how many books that is to sell. And when they do that math, they're like, whoa. See, that right there, James, is so important because sadly, I think there's a lot of people in this industry who are going to take advantage of, I don't have a better word for it than to say ego, but I don't want to make it a, in a sound bad. But I think a lot of people write a book with these hopes and maybe wanting to speak with these hopes and dreams that aren't realistic, but they don't know they're not realistic because they're not in the industry. So one of the very first things I do is help people like communicate to me your goal mm. and let me give you back my honest feedback, like it or not, I'm going to tell you the truth of whether that goal is attainable or not. Because there's a lot of people in the industry will take your money, you know, buy this product. And for eight weeks, I'll teach you how to do a bestseller book launch campaign. <laughs> oh. 
And people spend thousands of dollars and it just breaks my heart and thousands of dollars on marketing. And I'm, I watch it and my heart just breaks because you know, it doesn't matter the amount of marketing or what you do with this product, that goal is unattainable. So one of the very first things I do when I meet with potential clients is examine the goal and assess, is it really attainable? Cause I don't want to sign up to say that I can do something that isn't doable. Sure. Sell enough books, buy a yacht, whatever, private yeah. jet. Yeah, yeah it's, it was interesting to do that because I had to learn that. I was when I first published my book, I was throwing money at Amazon ads, and for a little while they were working. And then you look at the time, you look at the money, you look at the return. I'm like, I could be flipping burgers making more money than this. That's right. Yeah. So what you said is correct. A book can be an expensive calling card. Um, especially if you're a CEO, there's a lot of CEOs and I love this goal. There's a lot of CEOs who get to a certain point in their career that they really are passionate to go out and teach what they've learned, leading these multiple organizations over extended amounts of time. And so they'll go teach what they learn and get paid to speak. Mm. And the book, you know, they do sell the book, but in my personal experience is most people get more money speaking than they do in selling the book. But the book does kind of not only does it give you credibility as a speaker, but what I love about the book in that kind of a setting is it gives some people something to take home and revisit and go back through the content, apply the content slowly. Because if you come in and it's funny, Chris Tuff that I was telling you about calls it the swoop and poop. If you come in as a speaker and you give this great content and everybody's excited and maybe they take notes. And probably there's some actionable takeaways, but they can leave with that to impact for a short amount of time. But if they leave with the actionable takeaways that they impact for a short amount of time, plus a book, then the potential for a longer, larger impact exists. So I think that goal to use the book and that purpose is spot on, knowing you're probably not going to make money on the book, but you probably can make some money in the speaking. Gotcha. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, a thousand times over. Yeah. yeah. I feel like a book is a tangible reminder i guess so people that have gone to a presentation or something like that they get a book and they see that on their shelf every once in a while when they walk past in their living room or office or whatever and they get reminded of oh yeah that presenter said x y or z i gotta get my button gear whatever it is that they learned from that presenter i can definitely see that yeah and yeah. i think you mentioned you have children i think another great reason to write a book is to put down some of your thoughts for a legacy to leave for your kids, oh. you know, it's a work of art that came from your heart and your soul that you're leaving forever in the mm -hmm. hands of the future generations. So it's in the Library of Congress. Yeah, somewhere. <laughs> Tell me about the you mentioned New York Times bestseller or these bestsellers. And yeah. I mean, you know, more so than I do when I threw a book out there, I was inundated with people telling me, look, man. I know everything about how to get, sell millions of your books, bestseller lists, all this jazz. Tell me, because from what I know, uh, people, the game that I saw was people were trying to find some crazy niche on Amazon that has two or three books for your competition that aren't being marketed at all. You go in that crazy niche and all of a sudden you're the bestseller in basket weaving, underwater, uh, <laughs> just in some... Yeah crazy super psycho niche that only has marginal competition at best and then you can say you are right look i'm a bestseller but it's kind of you know it's meaningless but new york times is a different story i don't well i think it's a different story i don't know <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> i want to know i guess from your perspective 
is it a pay to play thing? Is it a marketing game? Like what is the game as far as getting to be a bestseller in the different ways that you can be considered a bestseller? Absolutely. So I'll give you my opinion okay, <laughs> on this topic, right? Um, it's been 15 years since I've done any New York Times bestseller campaigns. It has changed. That whole landscape has changed drastically. So I do not know how to tell you to be a New York Times bestseller. If I did, I would probably have a lot more money in the bank than I do uh. right now, right? <laughs> However, uh, when I did that before, I played a small part on an amazing team. And what my specialty was is designing a book tour around the launch of the book. And I would take the author and put them in speaking engagements again, ding, 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 and do a books in lieu of fee. So instead of charging $30,000 for the speaker to come speak, they would buy $30,000 with a book worth of books. Oh. So I played a small little part in doing this book tour. Um, and that is was the only part of the pie that I knew. So people would ask me all the time, how do you do a new, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't okay. know. Um, to your point of pay to play, there's definitely plenty of opportunities to pay to play for um, bestseller lists out there. And quite frankly, my personal opinion is I think people know that. So, you know, there I think there are some lists that are honorable and great to be on. The New York Times is definitely one of them. I think that sometimes organically you hit Amazon bestsellers. I've seen my authors do that without paying to play. And that's right. a, such a great honor, right? So the landscape has just all changed. And again, I think from the author's perspective, I would just be really careful that when you're taking advice from someone, A, be authentic in the goals that you're setting. Why do you want the bestseller? Can it be a great marketing strategy? Yes. Can it be a stroke of your ego? Yeah. I mean, is that what you want to spend money on a stroke of your ego? Right. So <laughs> right. just kind of do a little bit of a self-examine again and go, what is my motive behind this? And is it worth the time and the money um, to do the, the pay to play options? Because they're certainly out there. And if your book is good enough, you will hit an Amazon bestseller without doing some pay to play. So my two cents. Take fair. It. Totally fair. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I, I went to the library local Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, I go there with my book thinking I could just give that to them to throw on the shelf. Right. Mm. And I learned that you can't. And they're like, <laughs> right. oh, do you have any reviews? And I'm like, yeah, I got Amazon reviews. They're like, no, no, no. Kirkus. Or they mentioned two other ones that I'd never heard of. And so I write those down. I go home. I look and it's like, oh, for $300, we'll review your book. And I was like, what? That's where the landscape has changed because when I did it 15 years ago, everything was so different. I mean, we All would right. reach out to bloggers to blog about the book, but there just wasn't as much of this that you see going on where people are making money to do reviews. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's just, I want to say tainted, but I just think it's the kind of the culture we live in right now. That's everything, fair. That's totally everything fair. <laughs> feels yeah. like pay to play. Right or wrong. That's what it is. It, you know, it's yeah. interesting because I found my book on eBay. Oh, wow. And it was like $3 or something like that. So I'm like, all right, that's cheaper than I can buy it from Ingram Sparks. Right. <laughs> I bought it just to it? see like, what am I buying? Yeah. And I saw, uh, I had written an inscription to every book that I sent out to get a review. And I saw what reviewer it came from, <gasps> which is interesting. Cause on the one hand, I'm like, oh, that's shady. But on the other hand, I'm like, there's no way you're making money on this. Cause you had to pack this book for three dollars right. So it was, did you reach out? No. Nah. Yeah. No, nah, it was just, it was more curiosity than anything. Yeah. And it was one of those like, what good is going to come from there? 
Yeah. They're going to be like, yep. <laughs> or they're going to be like, oh, that was totally a mistake. I accidentally emptied all the best books off of sure. my shelf. Right? Let's hope it was that. <laughs> yeah. So it was like there was no thing that they could say that would be beneficial to even be worth the time for the phone call. Right. Or right. email. So absolutely. Yeah. Very wise. Move on. There you go. Yep. Very wise. So, and it is interesting you say the thing about the stroke and the ego. Cause when I was initially pushing my book and you're just doing all you can. And I remember just clawing at the walls, trying to get people to leave review friends, people yeah. that I've left reviews for on their stuff. Yeah. You know, if they would call you up in prison, you would bail them out. Right. Yeah. Like you were just bent over backwards to help them. And I'm asking them for that, you know, take 30 seconds and leave, leave a review for this book. And they wouldn't do it. And I remember just working so hard, working so hard, hurts, working spreadsheets. Hurts. Yes. And then I look and I'm like, I'm putting an awful lot of time and energy in this. What's the goal? Well, let's just say that everybody says yes. They leave a review. Then what? And I was like, oh, that is probably a little bit of ego, which yeah. business owner, you got to have a little bit, but it's also one of those like, here's your energy best spent. Is this the place? Yes. Yeah. And kind of rewind, like one of the things that I look for when I determine which clients I'll take is do they, is their heart breaking with passion for something that they really want to gift the world with, right? Oh. Like back to the example of Chris Tuff, what happened with him was he was looking around and seeing all these inauthentic connections and he was watching people make business transactions and push towards the goal and the ROI. And it was breaking his heart. Mm. And he was thinking, no, we've got to get back to authentically connecting with one another. And he could kind of connect the dots to see like, well, the reason cultures are struggling in offices is because people aren't connecting authentically. They're racing after the bottom line. They're trying to hit the goals that are always moving up. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, to. yeah, exactly. Like that's the way business works. And so his heart was breaking, kind of watching this. And he was like, something's got to give. He also speaks to multi-generational workforces. He, the Millennial Whisperer is one of his books. So the millennial how whisperer. do the, <laughs> and the Millennial Whisperer? So it how comes the with older, a trophy in it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so how do these older generations authentically connect with the younger ones? Because they have a lot to teach, but they also have a lot to learn. And so how do we get that street going both ways and do it in a way that's enjoyable for everyone? And so as his heart was breaking for this, he's leading his own company, doing these tactics that he's writing about and watching them work. So then he went to write the book to help other people to experience the success that he was experiencing. And that to me is the sign of what's going to be a successful book and a successful speaker, because their passion truly is about helping other people with the success that they've learned and now want to pass on. That's the secret to success. When your heart breaks over a burden that mm -hmm. you see other people are struggling with and your passion is truly not about yourself, but to get out there and do something about a problem you see that you have a solution for. That's the secret to success when you're writing a book and when you're speaking on a stage every time. Interesting. I love it. I love it. That's cool. Super cool. So from the authors that you've worked with, are there any that really stand out as like, this is amazing and things just seem to flow? Well, right now I'm experiencing that for sure with Chris Tuff. Um, okay. I do feel like almost everyone I've worked with, uh, that has, that happens. What I say is it's like a snowball, right? So when you're sitting at the beginning of your project, you may have a fan base 
of the people that you had in your spreadsheet that you're reaching out to for review? Well, I thought I did. Yeah. <laughs> so you have your people that are in your corner that are going to cheer you on. And what I like to come in and help people do is go, okay, let's ask those people, who do you know that knows who I need to know, right? And start to expand that network. As you get the word out about the messaging of your book, and certainly as you get on stages, if you're good and people experience you in a setting where you're speaking, they're going to go out and do the hard work for you and tell their friends about how fantastic you are, how this message has impacted their lives. And slowly that snowball just really starts to grow and take off. So from my perspective, it feels hard in the beginning. And if people are lucky enough to be able to afford a consultant or someone to come alongside to help push that heavy load up the hill in the beginning, once you get up over the hill and the connections start happening, you start getting on the stages and people start experiencing you, then that snowball just organically grows and grows and grows. And it becomes, it's interesting today, he said, I am at a point where I cannot keep up with my texts and emails coming in. And oh. that's the goal, right? Yeah. So the heavy lift is in the beginning, but if you can push hard long enough to get enough people to hear your passion and experience change themselves from your message, then that snowball will organically grow. However, it goes back to, again, what I said, it's got to be a solution to a true problem that people are feeling, a real solution with real tactics, like I need a plan that I can hold on to and leave and do these things for my life change, right? So it's got, that's the secret to the success of the snowball really going and organically building is again, it goes back to what we said in the beginning. If your heart is really to serve the person in front of you or the audience before you, it will happen. But if our heart is to make our name great, or build a platform. I don't know. Sometimes it happens. Sure. But more organically, when the passion is there to truly serve others, the snowball goes organically. And you don't have to pay the huge fees for marketing agencies and all the ads and all the things. I mean, do you need SEO and content out there so people know where you are to the point of your other uh, gal that was interviewed. Yeah. Yes, you absolutely do. But if every post you write is to equip your audience with information they need to be successful, your audience is going to grow. People nice. feel the authenticity in it. All right. One of the things that um, I was thinking that kind of gave me the push to actually write and publish my book was I was thinking when a book gets written and published, it's out there essentially forever right a very long time and every day more people are writing and publishing books so the volume of books which essentially you could argue is your competition is only growing exponentially every single day so every single day that you're not published and not ah. pushing your book is another group of competition that you're just adding on yeah so it was like oh i gotta get this thing out there but then uh then you get editors that take their time. <laughs> I know, right? There's such the process for sure. There's, you know, it's so interesting. I had, um, I should have known. Well, I don't know if I should have known this, but I was expected to know this. When you reach out to an editor and they're like, oh, what did they say? Do you want an edit for content or for... Um, grammar, punctuation. Grammar, yeah. They, it was like three different types of editing. And I was like... Both. All of the above. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you're going to go for content and you see a comma that's out of place, could you fix it? <laughs> right. And it was so interesting because they're like, oh, no one's ever asked this before. 
And I kept thinking, there's no way that nobody, no author was just like, oh, I totally want a bunch of different authors to do different things. Yes, right. Or a bunch of editors, I should say, to do different yeah, things. So it's right. interesting how the, uh, I guess the- The monster. The wrote. system is just laid out like, this is how we've always done it kind of thing, which are some of the worst words we can possibly hear. Right, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we gotta disrupt some of that model for sure. Yeah, so when you have a client come to you and they're just- uneducated like me right they're just like hey i got this book i think some magic should happen with it i don't know next steps how like what is the process that you take them on everyone is so different james because everyone comes in at like a different place in the playing field you know so it's very very customized to each person let me let me pause you for a second there because when you say different do you mean the book's been out for a while or their goal with the book may not are different, right? Hey, I just oh. want to sell these at my speeches. Hey, I want to be the next Stephen King or the business or John Maxwell, right? Or something like that. Or uh, hey, I just want to pump this out, and if I sell five, great. I've had all of the above, including right. the I don't care if I only sell five. So you start with the end in mind, right? you mm-hmm. I like the ready, aim, fire. Um, that's kind of my. <laughs> <laughs> motto. There's a lot of ready, fire, aims, but um, out there, especially people who are passionate and excited about their message. But so the first thing we start with is what's the goal and then back up from there. And honestly, the first step for everyone is probably going to be who's in your fan base, who's in your corner mm-hmm. and who are these people? How much do they want to help you? And where do they, where does their reach extend and how can they help you? So that's probably the first discovery I would do with everyone, no matter what the goal is. And then just looking for those little, you know, it's like, if I said to you right now, do you know someone with red hair? You might think of three people that you wouldn't have remembered if I told you, list me out 25 of your top connections, right? So sometimes I can come in and ask some questions that make people go, oh, you know what? I have a buddy that I haven't talked to in years, but works at, you know, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. So it's very different for everyone and very customized, again, based on their goal, based on their fan base. um, Do they want to end up with a higher range speaking fee? Is that the goal? Because that's how they're going to make their money. Is their business model more around coaching? And so they want to go out to speak to bring in coaching clients. You know, there's always a business model and we just have to start with the end in mind and then go backward and customize our strategy accordingly. And a lot of times I have uh, meeting planners call me, quite frankly, because I have these clients that are launching books with this niche content. And so I'll have meeting planners call and say, hey, Carrie, I have this audience that has this need. Who do I need to come speak? And that's always really that's always a really fun flip because I can go. I know exactly who would meet that need for your audience and make some introductions accordingly. And that's really fun, too. Very cool. So you've been doing this on your own for, I think you said five years. Is that right? Five years. Yes. So how long does a client work with you? Is it six months, boom, bang, and just whatever happens, happens? Or is it every year they're staying with you, keep pushing this book, or do they come up with new books or... How long is a typical yeah, client with you? It just depends on the goal, you know? So um, I had one CEO that I think I was with for about a year and a half and kind of began his business development process. So he went out speaking to get leads for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we hit that goal. I've had clients where I just walk them through a book launch campaign. 
Uh, I have speakers that I've worked with for the last five years as a booking agent, you know, so it just depends on the goal of each individual client, how long we hang around, but every single person I've worked with is still a good friend of mine. So even if the book launch ended, if I hear of somebody who needs their content, I'm always happy to make an introduction for them in that way too. Nice. Yeah. So in the world that you're in, how many authors are you working with at any given time? At one time? That's a great question. I can usually, so I do outbound campaigns for my speakers. If I have an outbound client, I can only take one, what I call retainer client at a time. So that's where they buy blocks of time on my calendar, Mm -hmm. but I can work up to up to four to five additional um, as a booking agent for four to five additional people. So retainer client would be outbound finding speaking uh, opportunities for them or book launch campaign. I can only carry one of those at a time. Gotcha. All right. And does that mean that you have a backlog where essentially people are scheduled? Yes. Well, I just, I have a little old fashioned waiting list where I just write down if I can't take anyone and they need it, I put them on the waiting list. It's usually because my process is usually about a year and a half average. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, I don't get to a lot of those people, sadly. And I would All love right. to, but I just have to, and my, I also homeschool my daughter. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So I work and, um, and homeschool my daughter. So I have to be really careful and protect my boundaries. I have um, some girls that help on my team, but I try to stay right at 30 hours a week of my time. Mm-hmm. So that really limits right now what I can do. Once my kids are all out of the house. I have my second one leaving for college this fall. And then my daughter's 15. So in a few years, I'll probably be able to do a little bit. (laughs) Then you can work the 80 hours that you really want, right? No, (laughs) never that again. (laughs) That is smart. That is smart. You know, it's so interesting because I talk to a lot of business owners. I don't know necessarily many that are on this podcast, but certainly some uh, that, uh, well, I guess as business owners, we're really good at building our own prison. And they are working psycho hours, volume. I mean, one, um, I can't remember if that was a guest or if that was just some guy that I was talking to, but he was talking about uh, having some quiet space so that after he puts his kids to bed, he can go work. And I'm like, well, what do you do during the day? And he's working. And I was trying to think like, dude, time is a finite resource and we don't know how long we get and no one's going to be on their deathbed thinking i wish i would have worked more no but you will be on your deathbed about to stand before god and go you want to know that you served him and his people that's what i think and his people also include those in your family so i'm big on a morning routine my morning (laughs) routine is uncompromisable oh must Um, totally a must I sit for probably an hour to sometimes two hours, believe it or not, in prayer, reading scripture with my coffee, preparing myself to serve Um, my personal prayer in the mornings. Let me be your hands and your feet to minister to the people you bring me today. So I do that every morning. My job brings me so much joy, which is probably because of the time in the morning and the mindset, right? I enter in that when I leave my office doors, I'm fueled to begin the real work, which is with the family and the kids. Mm, So not every day is that perfect, but I will (laughs) say most days I walk out energized from what I've been given, the privilege I've been given to serve the people I've served that day. And that gives me so much energy to then go and trans, 
relate that into the family and be excited about, you know, serving them, making dinner, being the mom, doing all the things with that hat. And I feel very thankful, quite frankly, that we can do hybrid work right now, that we can work virtually so we mm -hmm. can stop a Zoom and run, pick up carpool or run, do what we <laughs> need to do. And, you know, it kind of all blends. And honestly, I feel like when I bring my clients in, they get so much into my heart that they feel like family. So it does kind of mysteriously all intertwine in the day. I mean, to pick up a phone call from a speaker that I'm working with feels just the same to me as picking up from one of my kids, you know, like sure. we're just here to cheer all everybody on. Once they get <laughs> in my heart, they're, they're like my kids too. Nice. <laughs> so. so you have this routine. Is this something that you've had for decades or is this something that you just kind of evolved over time? For sure, decades, I can tell you that honestly, since COVID has it gotten longer in the morning, like I have oh, to tell myself, all right, Carrie, put it down. Like, you know, you got to get in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's just become, I think it started with a discipline of knowing a morning routine is important and knowing I need to do this and check this box. And it's evolved into just a love, quite frankly, for God's word and scripture and the depths of the abundant life that it offers. I think what I've personally learned is I spent a lot of my years hearing people tell me things about what the Bible says and writing them down. And somehow in the margin that COVID brought, the love that I got to have in reading the word and trying to really understand what is the context, like mm -hmm. where was Christ in this moment? Who is he speaking to? And what was his heart? Who is his character? And when I started to look at the word that way, like who is this man? The love that he is that comes pouring off the pages to me in the morning was almost something like a faucet that is hard to turn off. So mm -hmm. I would say both. It evolved into this incredible passion now that started as a discipline of we should get up and pray and read our Bible in the morning. So over time has evolved into what it is now. Interesting. Yeah. I, the morning routine sets a tone for the rest of the day. Absolutely. So I work. Yeah. Very hard to have that routine. I'm not a Bible guy, but I what certainly understand do? everybody your... has their, yeah, their, uh, I guess we'll consider their little source of energy, whatever it is that they use. Yeah. What do you do? What's your morning routine? Uh, well, I have to work out. Uh, I consider <laughs> like bodies, a temple kind of thing. Yep. And um, my, with the business that I have now, or the businesses that I have now, the majority of it is behind a desk, staring at a computer screen. And that is not necessarily where I excel. <laughs> so <laughs> I need to do something physical um, because if I don't, well, you, you just have to, <laughs> you yes. have to. Yes. Um, so that well, the evening. Yeah. that's with my evening. Yeah. Yeah. I go running with my dog every morning. Yeah. Um, cause that's a little meditative. I go early enough where there's typically the not people sunrise. around. I was just hearing about, um, the watching the sunrise does something chemically in your brain. Did you know this? Uh, you... not, I didn't know necessarily. I know that I love it. <laughs> yeah. There's a chemical. It was, um, Jocko Wilkins. Am I saying his name, right? You yeah, know, the yeah. extreme ownership guy, it was on one of his podcasts that somebody was talking about the chemical reaction that happens in your mind when you, without sunglasses, interestingly enough, watch the sun come up and let those rays soak into you. I don't know what that is, but how cool is that? So yes. Yeah. We're finally Great getting morning. to the point where the days are getting a little bit longer. 
Because I think I'd have so to go running so at 8.30 yes. in the morning or something like that to get a sunrise before. So true. Yep. That's but right. now the 6, 6.30 is starting to see it. And I'll try to adjust my schedule so that I can follow it to a point. Maybe yeah. not at four in the morning. Oh, that's awesome. And I bet your dog loves it. Yeah. 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 She's super cool. super cool. And a tired dog is a good dog in my world. So, What um, kind of dog do you have? Oh, she's a, what is she? She's a mutt. She's, she's one of the best dogs in the world. Uh, very smart. Beagle, Springer Spaniel mix. They don't know what dad was, but oh, good. Uh, yeah, she was rescue because uh, it was one of those oops, my dog had puppies kind of thing. Oh, yay. I'm so glad we rescued him. a mutt too. He's somewhere oh. <laughs> in this office. He works with me all day too. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I had a different business. I was in a shop and these guys, vendors come, whatever. And I had my dog in there and I'm like, hey, you okay with the dog? And they're like, yeah, we love dogs. And I whistled for her and she came and the guy's like, dude, <laughs> what did you do? And I'm like, that is 90% her. 10% oh. I stuck some time in training, but she's a smart, oh my God. You could probably give her taxes and she'd figure it out. And you spend quality time with her. So you're yeah. really yeah, great dog. Great dog. <laughs> yeah. Solid. I got so lucky with her. <laughs> Good. Oh, it's funny. You go running with her and you'll see some other people walking their dog and they're like all on their leash. <laughs> like the dog is walking them. And yes. we're just running. the dogs will be barking and she's just chill. Oh, I love her. What's yeah. her name? Kirby. Kirby. Yeah. Sweet. Her um, well, I guess my wife, uh, their family was big into Minnesota twins. And they used to sit sit in the cheap seats by Kirby Puckett. Oh, perfect. So I love it. Yeah. Awesome. They're big, they're baseball family. So oh cool. Like, yeah, Kirby's cool name. <laughs> so good. So yeah. good. Uh-huh. Awesome. Uh Carrie, how can people find you? Yeah, I'm at carriechilders.com, K-E-R-I-C-H-I-L-D-E-R-S.com. So any messages, like I said, I have a waiting list for um, speakers, but I would love to help people find content for if they have events coming up for their company and want niche content or know yeah. who to talk to for help fixes with culture or whatever the problem is, I can probably point them in the right direction. Or if they just need a little bit of encouragement, they can feel free to email me and I'll shoot them back a happy sure. message. <laughs> Harry, <laughs> I'm in a rut. Yeah. What's my cool. next right thing? <laughs> Man, you have such a big smile. Thank you. Smile this whole time. That's amazing. Oh, oh well, you're you, this is fun. You made it happy. So this is, you. you know, doing these podcasts a blast. It, it is. is a blast. You meet coolest people in the world. You learn stuff that I didn't even know I didn't know. And people just have some insights to share, and personalities, all that jazz. It's amazing. Amazing. I love it. Well, thank you so much for letting me be a part of your passion project. And if there's ever th anything I can do for you, please say the word. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. I do. Um, remind me again of your website. K-E-R-I-C-H-I-L-D-E-R-S.com. CarrieChilders.com. It's Carrie like the Carrie lotion. Like the Carrie lotion. <laughs> I am going to apologize because I don't know what that is, but that's okay. <laughs> it's kind of an old lotion, but my mom told me that's how she found my name. So 
Take oh, funny. That's what it is. <laughs> You're named after something soft and smooth, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All good. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Carrie. Thank you. Have a wonderful afternoon. You as well. This has been Authentic Business Adventures, the business program that brings you the struggle stories and triumphant successes of business owners across the land. We're locally underwritten by the Bank of Sun Prairie. If you're listening or watching this on the web, if you could do us a huge favor, of course, you know what to do, right? One, subscribe. Two, hit the big old thumbs up. And most importantly, throw a comment down below and let Carrie know what's going on with your business, your book, and maybe even your speaking career. Doesn't hurt, right? My name is James Cademan and Authentic Business Adventures is brought to you by Calls on Call, offering call answering and reception of services for service businesses across the country on the web at callsoncall.com. And of course, the Bold Business Book, a book for the entrepreneur and all of us, available wherever fine books are sold. We'd like to thank you, our wonderful listeners, as well as our guest, Carrie Childers, the founder and owner of the Thought Leader Connection. Carrie, one more time, can you tell us your website? Yes, CarrieChilders.com, K-E-R-I-C-H-I-L-D-E-R-S. Perfect. Past episodes can be found morning, noon, and night. Podcast link found at drawincustomers.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. I want you to stay awesome. And if you do nothing else, enjoy your business.